0: So hopefully you're aware, Faye and I have been um, away in uh, the US since last Wednesday. We got home Friday evening and um, I want to share with you a little bit about that and um, but also remind you of something that I think might be helpful for you that I shared at the conference. But I want to start by reading. Um, remember I wrote, I wrote this last year. I want to start by reading you the dedication that I wrote in the front of it. To everyone who has walked with me on this journey, thank you. Thanks in particular to Paul, without whom this book wouldn't exist, and to my wife, Faye, and my awesome kids, for releasing me to write and letting me take whole days and occasionally a week took away on my own. This is the bit I really wanted to hear. Huge thanks to my church family in Schipler. They have lived through the development of these thoughts and ideas and live out the pages of this book. The principles in here can only be lived out in community. And it's an honor to explore out working them with the fabulous people that make up Christian Life Church. Thanks to each and every one of you who choose to live life with me. For King Jesus and his kingdom. And really the, the headline for this morning is that last line. Thanks to each and every one of you who choose to live life with us. Um, because I want to try and help you see what it means to be part of this family, because it's so much bigger than what you see when we're together. Um, But before I share any more, uh, Nigel's going to come and share a little bit about the Billy Graham Evangelical Association rapid response teams, because that's who we were asked to go and speak to, and that's who Nigel works for. Um, And the link was through Nigel, which we'll talk about in a minute. So he's just going to share really briefly what that is and what they do, so you get a bit of context about where we were going and who we were speaking to. Thanks, Nigel
1: morning family. It's good to be back with you. Yeah, so my journey uh, really with uh, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association Rapid Response Team, and you always have to take a big breath before you (laughs) say that sentence. Longest business card in the world, Um, especially with my surname. Uh, Yeah, it goes back to 9-11 and the attacks in the, the U.S. And really I started a journey there of finding out what chaplaincy is. But more than that, chaplaincy is just a title that hangs on to living a kingdom life. And what I've seen both in the U.S. and the Australian and the Canadian teams is really it's just a group of people that want to live life for the kingdom and share life, kingdom life, with those that are going through tough times. So it doesn't take a disaster for people to be in crisis. So those that I work alongside are those that have gone through crisis themselves, support their own church family, their own family, their own friends that are going through the challenges of life, whether that be finances, unemployment, loss, grief, trauma, pain. But they take those skills out into the world, which is what we're all called to do as we live this kingdom life, to. Take that which God has placed within us and carry it and release it to others. So in the UK context, that means events like um, Shipley floods or flooding in Doncaster or the Grenfell Tower fire or the terror attacks in London. Uh, Most recently, the school in Wimbledon. You remember some children were killed when a car crashed there. We come right alongside those that are hurting and grieving The teachers, the parents, those that just want to stand in solidarity and place flowers, those that are compelled to come for whatever reason, we are there to be the hands and feet, the embrace of Jesus in both our words and our deeds. And that is replicated across the globe as we reach out to others. Um, So in the US at the moment, they've got five deployments going, two from hurricanes, uh, two from tornadoes and wildfires as well. Uh, including the the tragedy that's uh, still unfolding in Maui, in Hawaii so that's what we do really, yeah it has a big name it has a big title but it's actually down to individuals that carry life and want to share it with others and it's my privilege to lead the UK team as we do that come alongside those in the time of pain and grief Uh, and that about sums it up I think Perfect, thanks Nigel So Nigel
0: leads, how many chaplains have you got in the UK now? 97. 97. So Nigel leads a UK team of 97 chaplains who are all committed to doing that. And um, two years ago, he gathered them all together and invited Faye and I to go down and speak at a conference down south for the UK chaplains. And um, we must have done all right because he invited us about the next year. And um, so last year, um, and there were about... Yeah, so UK chaplains, we had a great time together, and um, at the previous one, I met this chap. The one on the that side. This is Josh, Josh Holland. Josh uh, came over, and because um, he heads up, well, he heads up globally, doesn't he? Basically, heads up all the US and heads up so all the representatives globally. Josh heads up. He works with Billy Graham out of Charlotte in North Carolina. And um, sees Nigel's boss in that sense. Um, and so Josh came. Uh, you can take that down now if you can, Luke, as much as it is to have me and Josh's smiling face there. Um, so Josh came last year. And I remember um, I was at the back in one of the first sessions of worship. And I remember looking at him and thinking, that man has the weight of the world on his shoulders. And I remember just praying. And over the course of the weekend, God met him in he, in a most incredible way god just met him uh, in a beautiful way um we sat and talked for like two hours and he just he just put his heart out for two hours he just shared it all everything things he would never told all sorts and never told anybody and for whatever reason god did this thing and there was this connection that he, he, he built and um And so he said, can I keep talking to you? Of course you can. So ever since then, every month, we've FaceTimed, or WhatsApped, and just shared life together and built a relationship. And so it was Josh who said, Adam, I want you to come to the America conference where we're going to gather everybody because I want you to share with them what you shared with me. So it all got born out of relationship. I didn't go looking for it. I didn't go chasing for it. It just found me. And... um, so at the conference, there were all the they have chaplain coordinators who lead teams. So Nigel's a chaplain coordinator in the UK, and there's there's a guy, in a couple in Australia, there's a lady in Canada, um, and then there's Joshua. Obviously, he's everything in America. But under Josh, there's about thirty odd chaplain coordinators, sixty, 60 cha- Right, i on that. Sixty chaplain coordinators, um, most of them couples. So anyway, there were about hundred people at this at this conference, and um, let me find out where I actually am. And as Nigel said, lots of these people, had their desire to help others had come out of their own times of crisis. I can't count the number of times that I cried listening to the stories and what had happened and what they'd seen and what had gone on. Some of them were sharing publicly in front of all these delegates examples of times in their lives that helped people. They'd just stand up in front of 100 people and go, This happened to me. This happened to me. That was where I was. This is what God's done. And so I cried countless times as I heard people experience stories of their own lives and their experiences as chaplains. And I can't share with you the stories of their own lives because they're not my story to tell. But two incidents of what some of them did as chaplains may help you understand the sorts of things they get involved in, the weights they carry. Um, One couple shared how uh, they'd been called to a shooting so of course, sadly, in America, uh, there is, at times, uh, children die because they get shot, because you can go up into a store and buy a gun. We won't go there. But to them, it's as normal in the South as it is you offering somebody a cup of tea. So. But anyway, one couple got called, and they do what they call a death notification. So they share with the family that somebody's died. And they shared with the parents that their child had died in this school Which is hard enough until the parents said, we can't share that with our family. Will you go to our house? There are 15 people there sat waiting. And they went, okay. So they went and walked into a home. And because the parents didn't feel able, shared the news with 15 other people that this little boy had died. Another couple told how they'd been in, I think it was, I think it was Maui in Hawaii. Um, one of the chaplains, actually, was, was from Hawaii. He, he happened to be in a team of something we did, so Faye and I got to spend some time with him. But um, His dad had built a church on the island, just celebrated 50 years of the church, and a wildfire had ripped through, destroyed the church, destroyed his home, destroyed everything. He'd gone back to help his dad who had had everything literally burnt to a crisp. But this other couple told us that uh, a man knew that his mother had died in a fire and he wanted to go see where she died. So they took him to this burnt out place. And then they accompanied him to see what was left of mum. I won't tell you anymore. But it was a very, very... So these were the sorts of people who, first of all, carried their own pain. And then they walked in having seen these things and having helped people. And then you've got to remember that a lot of them uh, are ex-firefighters or law enforcement officers. One of them used to lead SWAT teams. So the guys who have, I mean, they're all kind of kitted out in America, but they're even more kitted out. And they don't know what they're going to go when they bust through doors and things. Another guy. There's a police officer, I was sat next to him, and said, what, "What's your story?" "Oh, well, I was in the, I was in law enforcement for." I said, "Well, what did you do? Were you just on the beat?" "Well, I was in investigations." "Okay, what did you do?" "Well, homicide, murder." "What else did you do?" "Well, I went undercover for ten years with drug gangs." "And we're in we're in a bowling alley," and then he goes, "Your turn." I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> So so there's all these people who've seen all these things. And there were just a few of the situations, but I I share that with you. Because I want you to know what we walked into. But more than that, I want you to know that you were key in allowing us to minister into their lives. Because without this house, And without you and you choosing to walk with us as you have done, we wouldn't be able to minister as we did. Because of you, because of this house, we could confidently offer real hope for the bruised and the hurting. We could offer more than Bible verses and pithy statements. We could offer the reality of the healing life of Jesus. We could talk of a life laid down in real hope and real healing. We could talk of a father whose love was unceasing and unchanging and whose compassion was a reality. Here's the question. Where did I learn compassion? Where did I learn to love people with the love of the father? Where did I learn to have a heart for the fatherless? Where did I learn to help people through trauma? Where did I learn to love people and share truth with them in that love? Where did I learn to be a son and where did I learn to be a father? Where did I learn to teach the truth sir so key to all this? We had to learn, listen to his voice and follow his lead. And who loved me and supported me through all this learning. I learn it here. In this house. With you. And I learn it all from Paul who's sticking me through thick and thin. But I learn it with you as a family. And I want you to understand how grasping and important and vital that is. I hope that somehow today... I can help you understand and see how important you are in everything that happened over there. Because if I don't have a family behind me, I don't have anything. If I don't have a family behind me who are living out those values and being with me in them, then everything I hold dear about relationship and community means nothing. I have nothing. If I could have done, I would have recorded videos of everyone who sensed and felt the touch of Jesus over the course of the days we were together. And there'd be a lot of videos and a lot of testimony and a lot of fruit. But here's the thing. That fruit is not the result of my hard work or my faithfulness. It's the result of our hard work and our faithfulness. Because I am only the man I am because of you. Now hear me. I'm only the man I am because of you. Because I'm the man I am because I lived it out in community and I lived it out in family. So so that is not, that is not, it's our fruit. Any life that got changed, any heart that got touched, any healing that flowed forth, and there was plenty, was, was ours together. Because without you, I only have a gift. But I don't have a place to outwork it. And without you, I'm not the man I am. I mean, you, some of you knew me 15 years ago, 18 years ago when I first came. John did. Mm-hmm. Kath did. I'm not the man I am, am I, John? I'm not the man I was. There you go, he's smiling. He knows. If Anne was here, is Tina all right? She's not here. I hope she's all right. She's in London, okay. I've often said it to Tina, Because me and Tina did not see eye to eye 18 years ago. (laughs) My idea of compassion was pull yourself together 18 years ago and hers was a little bit different, as you know. But you know what? She loved me. And she forgave me. As have many of you many times. And that love and that forgiveness, that sowing that means I can focus on this stuff as a job. That, that meant I could go a 4,000 four thousand miles away and share what I've shared here many times, but to people for whom it wasn't a reality, not fully, but it will be and it is. So I just want you to remember This house is so much bigger than just this house. It's so much bigger than just us and what we have, what we carry, what God's done in us. I want to share with you from, uh, there we go. Just this verse from Ecclesiastes in chapter four. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two hands full with toil and chasing after the wind. Now, at first, it's not very helpful until you understand the Hebrew words behind it. Fulls fold their hands is the word yad. Better one handful, kath, with tranquility than two handfuls kufan with toil and chasing after the wind. Now, when I was sharing this at the conference, it was in the last session, it was in the context of the things we hold in our hearts and what we carry on our hearts and allowing Jesus to minister to our hearts. Um, and I want to share that with you this morning but I also want to put a slightly different question at at, at the end the word Yad denotes power and authority it's a sense as an ability to use power and authority but it's possible to fold your hands it's possible to check out, not participate allow things to happen around you and choose not to respond and according to the proverb then the folding of the hands, the checking out the not bothering, the not taking part The not participating, that leads to ruin. The word calf means a flat palm. The proverb speaks one handful, it means a palm up and down. As opposed to coffin, which means a clenched fist. And according to the proverb, one open palm is better than two clenched fists. Really, this proverb is all about how you hold things. It's all about how you treat things. So you can fold your hands and just check out. Or you can hold things super tightly in your clenched fists. Or you can hold things with an open palm. Now clench, holding things tightly is what we often do, especially if we waited a long time for something. If we prayed for a long time, believed a long time, waited a long time, we want to keep hold of it. We want to keep it in. The problem is that according to the proverb, one flat palm is better than two clenched fists, and apparently two clenched fists is toil and chasing after the wind, which is a wonderfully Hebraic way of saying that it'll never be enough, because when do you catch the wind, you don't. It's a no-win game. because we tend to close our fingers around that which we have been given and, and tightly hold on to it, especially if we've lost something before and now we've gained something. It's how I was with Faye in the early years, and... I just held way too tightly because I was terrified of losing it. But right now, just just hold one hand open palm and clench the other into a tight fist. It won't take long till you feel your nails digging into your hand or to feel the stress along the back of your hand. But a lot of us kind of live in this way, desperately holding on to what we've got, perhaps because we're scared of losing it. But really it just creates stress. It doesn't bring tranquility. It simply means you end up trying to control events and people and that, that never ends well. Because we've got to grasp the truth that what God gives us is not ours. Nothing belongs to us. Nothing we have is ours to own and control. Everything we have is ours to tend to and take care of. That's the message of Genesis 2. It was given to tend and take care of, not own and control And so at the conference I was talking about the things of our heart and the things that are on our heart and trying to help people see that there's a way to... We had this thing, they all, like when they grow out, they have these blue Billy Graham shirts and they're really proud of the blue shirts. <coughs> but we had this thing that was like, okay, I'm the only one wearing a blue shirt in the room now, which is hard for them because they live this stuff all the time. So I kept joking with them that they weren't allowed to wear the blue shirts in the room. But it's not easy when you live a life continually given over to listening to everybody else for you to listen to Jesus for you. It's not easy to receive for you when you're thinking about everybody else all the time. But of course, when it comes to the heart, your heart, there's a few things you can do. You can fold your hands and ruin yourself. You can choose to check out, pretend there isn't an issue. deny there's a problem, nothing I need to sort out. And according to the wisdom writer, it leads to ruin. Because denial costs whichever way you look at it. Denying, something, denying yourself something you want costs, denying there's a problem also has a cost. As a general rule, we seem to think the best course of action is to sweep issues under the rug and pretend they don't exist. That's the kind of default position for many people. I'm just going to pretend it's not there, I'm going to sweep it under the rug. The problem is we keep tripping over the thing that's under the rug and then wonder why we keep falling over. Denying there's an issue also means you are committed to living with it and committing all those around you to living with the consequences of it too. That, of course, doesn't bring life. Admitting there's an issue, choosing to work through it makes room for Jesus to heal and restore. We can also have two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. We can choose to acknowledge what's in our hearts, but we can keep our fingers tightly clenched over it, fully aware of it for all sorts of reasons we refuse to release it or... We can have one hand filled with tranquility. We can choose to open up our fingers, relax our hands, and allow God to take that which is in there. And in truth, in that room, there were those who, to the message of sharing what's on your heart, being open to let Jesus come in, giving him what's on your heart, there were some that folded their hands and went, Nah, that's not for me. That's going to happen. That's okay. There were some who realized that there were things that were in their hearts that they needed to give over, but they'd not quite managed to open their hands yet. So they took a step of just going, okay, Jesus, I'm, I'm acknowledging it, and maybe I can just open my little finger and see what you might do. And then there were others who over the course of the time, or some already actually, had, had kind of acknowledged in. Jesus took what was on the heart, and his healing came. And others who had already lived in that way, and we prayed for strength that they would keep their palms open and allow God to put in and take out whatever he wanted. But I want to apply these three postures to our hearts. Not what's in our hearts, because you get that all the time. But I want to ask this question. How are you holding what we carry as a church? And how are you holding the vision and heart of the house? Because it's more than possible to be a part of the family but fold your hands when it comes to sharing the message and the vision of the house. It's more than possible to enjoy all the good stuff but fold your hands when it comes to sharing it. To have power and authority but choosing not to share it. Not to share how good God's been to you, to us, not to share what you can do. is possible. Or you can hold it in clenched fists. You can choose to hold it super tight and cling on to it or cling on to people in the house. But clinging on to things isn't healthy. Remember what Jesus said when he rose again to Mary? Do not cling to me. Clinging on to things, clinging on to how things used to be, how people used to be, that's not healthy either. The only really healthy response is to treat it all as calf, as an open palm, offering that which you have received to those who want to enjoy it. Because as I hope you know, the vision of the house is restored to restore. It's never just been about you. It's always been about you finding healing and hope and community and family. It's about being restored to restore. It's about you finding it and then going and sharing it somewhere else. It's always been twofold. At first, it's about you when you enjoy it and experience it. Once you've found some measure of the goodness of God, the desire in my heart, you take what you received and pass it on to somebody else, that you might live open handed. Nigel asked me a brilliant question on the train back from Heathrow Airport on Friday. He said, What have you learned? And I pondered it for a moment. And I said, well, I've learned two things. I've learned there are people hungry for what we carry. There are people hungry for what we have. In your community, in your family, in your friendship groups, there are people who are hurting and who are desperately hungry for what we carry. The second thing I learned was that what Jesus has given us is pretty unique. It's pretty unique. One person said to me, I've never heard Scripture interpreted in the way you interpret it, but I want to know more. One person said, I've been to thousands of conferences, not thousands, I've been to lots of conferences, but never in worship and word have I been ministered to like that. Now why do I tell you that? Is it because of fear and Not really. It's because of what we carry on our hearts. All we did was express our hearts. That's all we did. We just expressed our hearts. We used our gift and expressed our hearts. And we carried it all with an open palm, allowing others to benefit from it. And I tell you that because that is true for you, because you carry it. You've got it. And you've got gifts and abilities, and you can use, and you can do it. It's because the heart and vision of the house has been deposited in our hearts. It's because the sacrifice of those who've gone before and fought for it on our behalf. So I have come back with an even greater appreciation of what we carry and determined that I will never fold my hands or clench my fists when it comes to sharing what God has put on my heart and what God has put in the heart and vision of the house. I'm praying it might be the same for all of us, that we might truly see and understand what he's done, what we carry, and we might be willing to hold it with open palms. Like I said at the beginning, Sometimes it's easier to go away and share it with some people you don't know. Because in the humdrum of life and the day-to-day and the coming back and the coming back, it's easier to see all the things that are not right and frustrate you and annoy you. Yeah, I get that. Don't worry, I see it all too. But at the end of the day, you have something in your heart that is incredibly beautiful. And you have something in your heart that people around you... Okay. Some might fold their hands. Some might go, nah, not interested. But some, just like those people at the conference, will go, okay, I understand understand something, but I don't really get it. And some might go, oh, that's incredible. Tell me more. But they won't be able to respond unless we share it. They won't be able to choose unless we tell them. They will have a choice to fold their hands or clench the fist or open their palms. If we don't share what God's given us, if we don't share your story and what God's given you, so I want to I want to finish off by saying this: Thank you, thank you, for going on the crazy roller coaster ride that has been a part of this house. Thank you for sticking in. Thank you for all the times you've forgiven me. Thank you for all the times you've walked through that door while you've been cross at me and upset at me. Thank you for all the times that you have carried on loving each other. Thank you for all the times you've modelled faithfulness and accountability and commitment and trust. Thank you for all the times that you have been a family. Because you do not know the effect that has in different places around the world. But what God did in Charlotte for those four days, God could not have done without you. And without all of us. Because I wouldn't have been able to go do it because I wouldn't have been me. And I wouldn't have had you with me. So thank you. And wherever we go and whatever we do, it's the same. But for this morning, I just want you to know that I'm so thankful and grateful that I have a family to come home to and a family that keeps on loving me despite me in all my goodness and all my not-so-goodness. Thank you. Shall we pray? Father, we understand that none of this exists without you. None of this exists without, first of all, your incredible love that flows into our hearts and you sending Jesus to die that we might have life. So first of all, we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for all that you have done and shown. And then, Father, I want to say thank you for all those who have gone before Lord. All those who fought for what we now carry. All those who helped create the cultures of this house. To create the feel of this house. All those, Father. Not just uh, the ones we might know of up front, Lord. But those who prayed. Those who were here right at the beginning, Lord. And I want to thank you, Father, for every person who has been a part of this house from the very beginning, Father. I want to thank you for every single person that has been a part of this house. And I want to bless every single one of them, Father. Wherever they are at in relation to us, whether they still think we're wonderful or they don't, Father, I bless and I speak goodness over every single person that has ever been a part of this house. And I say thank you for their contribution, Jesus. Thank you for what they did in building this house and making it what it was. Thank you for their service and their sacrifice. And I thank you that we get to benefit from all those who have gone before us up to this point right now. And Father, I thank you for the incredible privilege of being a part of Christian Life Church in Shipley. And I thank you for each and every one, those that are represented here in this building, those that are watching online in other nations or parts of the world, those that were with us in heart but not in body this morning. Father, I thank you for each and every one. And I bless them. In the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Keep loving one another. Keep forgiving one another. Keep caring for one another. And remember, any joy we have, any fruit we see, belongs to us all together, okay? It's ours. It's a privilege to serve him and a privilege to go. It's a wonderful privilege to come home. So before you go...